Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CX Cast. Sam Stern, joined as always by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. And we have in studio with us special guest from our B2C marketing team, principal analyst, Jim Nail. Hi, Jim. Hey, Sam. Really excited to talk to Jim because he's been writing about this a lot lately, values-based marketing. And there was a lot of it in evidence during the Super Bowl in between the Patriots, Rams, non-game game. There was a lot (laughs) of values-based advertising. And so we want to talk about that. But Jim, I think first for our listeners, let's level set a little bit here. How do you define or how do you characterize values-based marketing? Yeah, very simply, it's about giving your customers a reason to buy your product that isn't, you know, price product features, product performance, but is related to a social, environmental, or political value that you believe your audience holds. Is there sort of a quintessential example of this that pops into your head instantly? Certainly companies like Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's, and just more and more companies trying to associate themselves with those things, particularly Nike with our Colin Kaepernick ad in the fall. Yeah. And the examples of Patagonia and Ben and Jerry's, I think, are illustrative for the fact that Patagonia you know, associating itself with environmental causes, it's so obvious, right? There's no daylight there between the products are only usable if there's still an environment for you to go out into. Right. Whereas Ben and Jerry's, it's nice that they're doing it, but it's sort of additive, yeah. I guess I would say, to the ice cream. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have, I mean, I guess you still need to have pastures for cows, but you don't need, it's not as yeah. core to the product offering, right? Is that fair to say? That is fair. But I think the difference too is those have always been somewhat niche brands and it's a lot easier for a niche brand, especially yeah. someone like Patagonia, adopting something that's so close to them, that's a no-brainer. But of course, like, does North Face yeah. have that same no, kind of association? True. No. I, I don't think right. of it that way. I I think they probably do support some environmental groups, but they don't make it as much of their brand identity as Patagonia does. But when you see a Nike, when you yeah. see brands like that, big mass brands yeah. starting to adopt these values, you know there is a change in the air. No, I think it's a really good point. Ben and Jerry's can reasonably pursue any causes that they believe in, and they only need one or two percent of the market share, and they're absolutely thrilled. Whereas Nike is looking at 40, 50 percent market share, right. Gillette probably even right. higher for right. men's shaving needs. Right. And so then you'd really do need to think carefully about which causes you associate yourself with and what that will mean to certain segments of your customer base when in Gillette you're looking for pretty much universally all Mm -hmm. men who shave. I think it's interesting too that you just said the word causes because values can run so much more deeply than a cause. Yes, I really care about the environment that is core to my value or some people have religion that is core to their value, right? right? Or certain social or economic causes that are core to their values. But sometimes when you use a cause, it sounds like you can be piggybacking Mm -hmm. on a current movement or Mm -hmm. moment, which is maybe less genuine of a type of value-based marketing. You hit on, I think, a really important distinction because if you go back 15, 20 years, there was a whole fad around cause-related marketing. American Express kicked it off when the Statue of Liberty was being renovated. And so every time you used your charge card, they made a, you know, one cent or two cent, whatever it was, donation to the restoration fund. And then that was very successful. That caught on. And so a lot of companies then started doing those kinds of donations. And you still see companies that donate, you know, some percent of their profits to one of these causes. And that's fine, Mm -hmm. but writing a check to a cause is pretty darn easy. And I think values-based marketing is very different than what people often confuse it with, corporate social responsibility, because often Mm -hmm. the corporate social responsibility group at a company is in charge of the charitable donations to all these causes. And again, writing a check's real easy. Anybody can write a check for anything, but uh, you know, if uh, Patagonia were writing checks to these environmental causes and then you go into their factories and they're, you know, spewing pollutants everywhere, that doesn't jive. And that's where over the years of cause-related marketing, of corporate social responsibility, even of green marketing that was a big fad in the 90s into the early 2000s, consumers have gotten pretty 
savvy to whether a company is really doing it or are they, you know, just trying to cover up their sins. We we remember when BP stood for Beyond Petroleum. And then soon after, we also remember when they put a lot of that petroleum into the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Uh, So BP was BS. You had a wonderful line in one of your blog posts about this recently. And we're going to come to the Gillette example here in just a moment. But I think this speaks to it. You said backpedaling and highlighting its charitable donations, speaking of Gillette, as proof of its values, risks creating the perception that we believe the name of the campaign is nothing more than a marketing ploy exploiting a serious social issue for crass monetary gain. And I think that really speaks to what you were just highlighting and answering Jenny's calling out causes as as not really indicative of values is you're just saying, okay, we wrote the check, you know, we wipe our hands of this, we're on the right side of things when there's so much more to this if you are truly going to be values driven as a firm. Yeah, since you spoke of religion a moment ago, I, I liken that to the practice in the Roman Catholic Church in the 14 and 1500s of buying indulgences. Mm, and we all yeah. know how that ended up. And that was the shame of, of Gillette. They seemed to be saying something important and seemed to be serious. But then when they were challenged on it, they fell back on that, oh, we're going to give, you know, millions of dollars to the boys clubs and girls clubs. It's like, you better believe in this mm-hmm. more than, more just, than yeah. that. And for listeners, remind yeah. everyone what happened here yeah. that, that has us talking about Gillette as if everybody knows what happened. Yeah, well, probably like three weeks ago, they launched this campaign, We Believe. And the gist of the commercial shows Gillette wants to promote men to you know, behave in less sexist ways. And so the video showed things like bullying and showed men catcalling attractive women or mansplaining, you know, to a woman <laughs> in a meeting and then showed, you know, men who would break up the bullying, who would stop their friend from catcalling, you know, were being more respectful for women. One of the mistakes they made was in the announcement around it, talking about how they're trying to address toxic masculinity, which I think was an unfortunate term. Mm. It's just inflammatory mm-hmm. in itself. But anyway, it's taking their, you know, best a man can get slogan, which they've been using for 30 years and updating it to best a man can be and saying mm-hmm. that, you know, there's more to being a man than just being clean shaven and you're well dressed. You know, you have to behave appropriately and all that's good, but their execution really fell down. Yeah. And they, they took a lot of blowback yeah. on social media. Yeah. Oh, what's interesting that is that you align with one value. It's not trendy right now, but it's very popular right now. And so perhaps that's mm-hmm. why it appealed to them. And in doing so, though, with some of the language, too, you can ostracize an existing audience, too. Yep. There's an interesting sort of seesaw there when you're pursuing value-based marketing and who you're appealing to yep. and who you might turn away. You know, that is certainly one of the dangers. And a company has to be very careful going into this to know who they're going to piss off because mm-hmm. they're going to piss somebody <laughs> off. If you're doing it right, you really have to piss somebody off. So Nike apparently knew exactly what they were doing because their revenues and share have grown. Yeah, well, despite right. all the flaming sneakers on YouTube in the <laughs> week or so after they launched the Colin Kaepernick campaign. But then Gillette made a second mistake when they started getting that pushback. The brand manager, and I blogged about this, you know, the brand manager came out with a statement about, oh, well, we were just trying to update our 30-year-old tagline. It's like, what? As I titled that blog post, Gillette just admitted they actually have no values. Yeah. You know, this was a marketing exercise. And if you're going to go into this kind of values-based marketing, you cannot treat it like it's just another product performance claim. Mm-hmm. You know, Gillette could go from, oh, we're going to give you a close shave to, hey, we've added another blade and so it's high tech. You can do that all you want. Classic sort of brand repositioning stuff, fine. If you're going to do values, you better 
have something to show for it. You better show you're really serious about it. And you better show it's more than just this, you know, glib marketing exercise. Yeah. And in a sense, what you're saying by trying to soft pedal it or back pedal it or walk it back, you're probably not satisfying the people that were angry at you for saying toxic masculinity. And now you're abandoning the people who were encouraged that you had said it or that you had, you know, gone in this direction, right? So you have no one on your side anymore after that. Yeah. I'll try to ascribe positive intentions here to Gillette where they said, okay, Me Too is a movement, is a thing that for us, a brand so associated with masculinity, we probably should say something about this. The way that they're complicit in this, as you highlighted with some of their past advertising, the way we have talked about or shown or objectified women in our advertising related to a men's product, we might have contributed to this. Let's update our own point of view here. Nice instinct, poor execution, which I think is exactly how you put it. What would you say to another brand who is in a similar sort of mindset to Gillette? We should say something here. This is an issue that is connected to how we've been in the world in the past. How do you proceed from there in a way that you get to a better outcome Gillette got to. I will point to somebody like Novartis doing some work a few years ago, and they were very heavily promoting their commitment to sustainability and the UN's Millennium Sustainability Development Goals. And they had a statement in one of their reports about, you know, in the past, we've always adhered to all federal, state, local laws and regulations concerning pollution. And as a friend of mine years ago told me, well, that just means you're not a criminal. It doesn't make you an environmentalist. (laughs) But Novartis went on and said, but now we realize that isn't enough. And so here we're doing these new things. So admit it, own it, state that you are now woke, whatever that means for your issue, (laughs) and say what you're going to do differently accordingly with Gillette. As you were saying, Sam, if they had come out and said, hey, in the past, some of our advertising has you know, not been correct. We're sorry for that. We want to fix that and we want to move forward. I, I think they could have had a much more credible stance. Around. Yeah. Well, what Gillette did may be differently. And I don't know if this is always the case, but value-based marketing should be a reflection of the company and how the value has right. changed and how they're living out those values. Whereas the Gillette was more a reflection of the audience, right? Yeah. Or men or guys yeah. and what they're doing sort of right or wrong, as opposed to talking about the company right. and the company's value. Finger pointing. Yeah. I mean, if you can root it in something the company's been doing for a long time, you know, that's great. Think company like Johnson & Johnson. They've had their own issues over the last few years. But you know, from their founding, if you've ever been to their headquarters, in their lobby, they have this big statement of what their values are that's like from the founder's mouth. So if you can use things like that that are in the legacy and in the culture and then you know, extend them to new issues, extend them to new topics that are in the zeitgeist, then you've at least got a history you can point to. Virtually every company's founding values or ethos are positive things, right? Yeah. Are things you can echo back to. But, you know, you also have to make it concrete enough. Like yeah. every company, you know, we value integrity. You know, right. We value <laughs> <Yeah>. our people. <laughs> you know, every one of those statements. I know, Sam, you've written a report like that. Too. Yeah. Like, it, it's all this bland, right. namby-pamby, God, no mother and apple pie kind of stuff that it's like, okay, show me. What are you really doing about that? A couple of years ago, I was in Madrid with a telecom company and they were sort of thinking about what values you know they should embrace. It was interesting because in their annual report, their chairman wrote about how the digital revolution and the internet and all this stuff has brought 
all these great advantages to so many of us, but there are people in certain countries and certain regions of the world left behind. And so when I was talking to them, I was like, there's your issue right there. You know, your chairman's already spoken about it. You have the assets, the knowledge, you know, the abilities to really tackle that credibly. I don't want to diss companies who give millions of dollars to charities. It's a wonderful thing and the charities do wonderful work with it. But if that company went off and gave millions of dollars to a women's rights organization or to something else, it'd be like, yeah, but what does that have to do with your real business and where you can really improve the world? And if you're a company, you're in business to make money, but you should authentically believe that your products and services are a net positive. Companies in every industry believe that, right? ExxonMobil is enabling mobility. So if you see them as destroying the environment, sure, fair. But inside of that company, they truly believe they are making the world a better place. And they should act on that, right? Like what is an extension of how we already make the world a better place that we could do that isn't necessarily directly tied to our business, but it's an extension of it. Well, you touch on another really interesting way to look at values for a company. And that is to look at your externalities. Most of what your product does is good for the world, but there are going to be some of these unintended consequences and externalities. So how do you own those? How do you bring those inside before you know the government regulates it or consumers boycott you over it? And if you can get ahead of some of those things, and again, like that Novartis thing, hey, we know we haven't done a great job with this in the past. We're sorry for that. We're ready to move ahead. And you know, here's how we're going to do better in the future. You've got a really strong story. Okay. So we talked about, you know, Gillette wants to speak its truth about this topic. They messed up too late. So now you're in it. You're standing in the middle of the stream. What would you recommend to a firm who's in that position, who maybe stuck their foot in their mouth a little bit or had a bit of a tone deaf statement on an issue like this or an ad campaign or whatever it was? What do you do that would not be Gillette's tepid response? Well, I I think first of all, you need to kind of war game this during your planning because you can count on some negative feedback from somebody. So you should anticipate that you should have some idea of it. Like Nike shouldn't have been surprised that some people burned its shoes, right? Yeah, again. Maybe they expected it in the war room and they were like, this is going to be great for press yeah. and be able to show yeah. our conviction. Right, right, yeah. right. right. Yeah. It could be. You know? Could be. <laughs> but the last thing you do is come out with that kind of statement about, gee, we were just trying to update our marketing. Their first response should have been, hey, we wanted to start this conversation. Gee, we kind of got off track and maybe our use of the term toxic masculinity took it a direction we didn't intend. We're sorry for that. But in their announcement, They talked about the three core values they wanted this campaign to represent and to encourage men to adopt were respect, accountability, and role modeling. So what they should have said is, gee, toxic masculinity took the attention away from what we really want to talk about is respect, accountability, and role modeling. So we're sorry for that. But let's get back and talk about respect, accountability, and role model and take Mm -hmm. control of that. We're glad there's a conversation now about what modern masculinity is about. Let's have it around these three things that we think are important. So acknowledge the mistake and bring it back to what the core message should have been. That's one of the other big differences in values-based marketing. You know, corporate speak is the death of credibility. If you come off of some PR flack with these carefully crafted things that the lawyers approve of that deflect any possible responsibility, people aren't going to believe anything you say. And if you're getting into these kinds of values, those are very emotional, very human things. You need to sound like a human being about them. And hey, every human being makes mistakes. Every corporation makes mistakes. In the great scheme of things, the kind of mistake Gillette made is 
really not that big. Mm -hmm. So own it, atone for it, correct it, move on. Okay. So final topic, touch on the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl (laughs) ads. And and I thought one really telling line from your blog post here was the extravagant foolishness was the turn of phrase you used seemed to be behind us now in Super Bowl ads, where I think it was almost the amount of animals, talking animals and stuff every year. You could count, probably needed two hands to count. And that really went away. So talk to us about the trends you saw in the Super Bowl ads this year and related to the values-based yeah. marketing. And what was interesting, if you look at the uh, USA Today ad meter ranking, seven of the top 15 were values-related mm. ads. Things like the Bud Light ads, you know, with the medieval knights and, you know, the giant barrel of corn syrup, heavy CGI, heavy production value things. None of them broke the top 15. Great. Well, Jim, thank you for joining us on CXCast. A bit of a non-traditional CXCast this week, but I think the commitment to values is a really important element in delivering a good branded customer experience. Who are you as a company? What do you stand for? What should your customers expect from you? And what do your employees expect from you as their employer too and the employee experience side? So I think all of this applies. You sort of had a nice set of blog posts there covering the sort of various stages of their attempt to walk it back and then maybe double down and then not getting that right either. So I think that'll be a really good follow-up read, listeners. So check that out and we'll talk to you all on next week's CXCast. Bye for now. Thanks to our colleagues Amanda Chen for recording and mixing the episode and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing. And listeners, if you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And remember, your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality. <laughs>